from the meat lockers of Domo. This episode is sponsored by Component One, make- makers of Widgmo. If you need stunning UI elements or awesome graphs and charts, then go to Widgmo.com and check them out. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Hey everybody and welcome to episode 40 of the JavaScript Jabber Show. This week on our panel we have Joe Eames. Howdy. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv and we have a special guest that's Trevor T. Hello. Um, he's joining us from Domo. Um, we had some folks on vacation and stuff and so um, we were short a few people. So Joe invited one of his coworkers. Um, I don't really really have coworkers per se uh, since I'm doing contract stuff most of the time. So. Anyway, um, is your cat your coworker, Chuck? What was that? Is your cat your coworker? I don't have a cat. Dog? Nope, don't have a dog either. I'm allergic to cats. Um, but yeah, no cats. Anyway, um, so we're going to talk this week about making the most of conferences. So I'm a little curious. Um, what conferences have you guys been able to attend over the last few years over your career? So I was a Microsoft developer before I went fully front end. So I went to several Microsoft development conferences. VS Live was probably my favorite one. Recently, I've been to the Utah Open Source Conference and the Utah JavaScript Conference. Really like those. Yeah, the local conferences are fun. What about you, Trevor? I've been to a lot of conferences. Recently, I went to the Mountain West Ruby Conference. That was that was entertaining. I've been, I went to the JavaScript uh, JS Conf, and that was the first NodeConf also was kind of appended on the end of the JS Conf, and that was up in Portland. I really liked that one. Um, like Joe, I used to do some Microsoft stuff, so I've been to Microsoft before, and several other ones in between, UberConf, Web 2.0 in New York. Does Comdex count? I went to Comdex <laughs> once. <laughs> yeah, I didn't really start going to conferences until I got into Ruby, so most of the conferences I've been to have been Ruby-related. Though I did go to the Utah Open Source and uh, some of those, but yeah, Mountain West Ruby Conference. Um, the Ruby Rogues did a keynote at RailsConf. Um, I also went to RubyConf this year um, and Aloha Ruby Conference. So uh, that, that's just this last year. Um, I'm going to be speaking at New Media Expo this next um, this next month in like three weeks, I think. So uh, I got to get my talk finished, but. Uh, yeah. Have you guys spoken at conferences or do you usually just attend? So I spoke at the uh, Utah Open Source Conference. That was interesting. Other than that, I've just attended and then spoken here locally. Right. What about I, you, Trevor? I've only spoken at internal conferences. There's a interesting, um, actually pretty decent conference put on by the LDS Church for all of its IT departments, including BYU their uh, ICS and family history departments. And so I've spoken at that a couple times, but it's pretty big conference in terms of, <laughs> you know, internal conferences. But no, other than that, I just like to attend and enjoy that side of it. Yep. Makes sense. Yeah. I usually wind up speaking at the conferences I attend of all the conferences I attended this year. The only ones I didn't speak at were Mountain West Reconference. And I wasn't actually an alternate speaker there. They just, 
didn't have an opening for me. Um, and then I didn't speak at RubyConf. I just went as an attendee, and that was fun. So, um, you spoke at RubyConf before? No, I've never spoken at RubyConf. I spoke at RailsConf, but not RubyConf. So I'm, I'm going to be putting in proposals to speak at uh, Mountain West Ruby Conference this year. That's cool. All right, well, so when you go to the conferences, what do you usually do? Do you spend any time, any time like looking at the schedule and preparing, or do you just show up? So most of the conferences that I've gone to have been the pretty multi-track ones, like at least three tracks, if not four or five. So I usually spend a lot of time plotting and planning on what tracks I'm going to end up going going to. So I'm definitely definitely not a definitely a planner. I think in order to get the most out of your conference, you kind of have to plan. Even the smallest ones that I've been to, like I would say JS Conf was a smaller conference that I really, really enjoyed, but they only had, they had a main track and then an alternate, you know, speaking room, I guess. Um, and they were more like lightning talk kind of things. And although I really loved that, even then I had to, I had to plan out which ones I wanted to attend, make sure I didn't miss the ones I was really excited about. But if you don't plan, I just don't think you can get the most out of the conference. Yeah, the multi-track conferences are kind of that way. Um, I tend to just show up and then look over the schedule at the beginning of the day and just say, okay, I have to hit these couple. And then um, it's funny because I usually wind up skipping a couple of sessions uh, each day of the conference. The only the only conference that's really the exception to that is Mountain West Ruby Conference. And that's a single-track conference, and it's kind of a different... Uh, it's kind of a different deal. So, um, yeah, in fact, I would say the the big the more tracks you have, the more possibilities more you have to plan. But yeah, I like the Ruby Mountain West Ruby Conference where you just kind of show up and get entertained. Yeah. Plus, yeah. a lot of times, you know, your company will send like two or three guys, and so you'll end up probably wanting to plan the core to each other, right, and go to different tracks so you cover more things, so you bring back more knowledge to the company. I've certainly had that, had that experience quite a few times. Yeah. Probably I, not something you've you've had very much problem with, though, Chuck. Not recently, but I have worked for a few companies that sent us to various conferences, and yeah, it's, you know, sometimes it was, okay, you go to this track, and I'll go to this track, and then we'll compare notes. And sometimes it was, I don't care which track you're going to, I'm going to this one. And if we're both in there, then fine. Right. So, yeah, you, you kind of work that out and make it make it happen. Yeah, I had some funny experiences when I hit VS Live, because we split it up. And then I was going to an all-day uh, pre, kind of one of those pre-conference all-day things. Mm-hmm. And it was really good. And the other employee that was there, he what he was in was turned out to be not so great. So I actually pulled him in and said, hey, you need to come and stick it on this one and you know even though i'm uh, learning a lot of stuff you should be in here hearing the same stuff so <clears throat> i think it, being fluid as well makes a big difference in understanding that sometimes you get into a track that you think is great like uh at the utah javascript uh, conference one of those tracks i went in turned out to be a real bust and i ducked out after about eight minutes i had uh i remember one time at a uber conf in denver that uh, I just I started off in one one class that I thought would be interesting and it was terrible. So I switched to another one and that one was terrible. And then I switched to another one and 
that was terrible. But by, <laughs> by that time, you know, the hour was up or whatever. That's yeah. Yeah. One other that, thing. That's that, rare. I don't want to say anything bad about UberConf. They actually have, have a pretty good conference. I just had a bummer hour there. Well, and the thing is, is, I mean, they get the proposals, they look them over, they try and pick the best ones, and sometimes you just can't tell. Yeah, right. Or sometimes it looks really good, and then it just doesn't work out very well, because the, the content is interesting, but the quality isn't there. You know, the speaker isn't well rehearsed, the speaker isn't a good speaker, things like that, and, you you know, you just work it out and go somewhere else. So, uh, one other thing that I want to get into a little bit, and one of my favorite parts of, of conferences is the stuff that happens around the sessions, or instead of the sessions, so I usually wind up um, spending at least a couple of sessions at each conference just chatting with people, and so I'm not actually in any of the sessions, I'm out in the hallway, we're talking about something interesting, um, you know, making contacts, making friends. Do you guys find yourselves doing a lot of that, or do you try and attend the sessions when they're available? So I haven't done as much of that, but I think that the conferences that I've gone to have done um, a fantastic job of really encouraging that. Like the, I know there are lots of conferences that basically run kind of a hackathon. They have a, a specific room that you can go into that people are actually in there programming all the time, so you can go in and network with other people and program on stuff. And they actually have it even more organized where... It's like you go in and there are people working on projects. You can see what projects they're working on and join them and pair along with them. Or at other conferences I've heard of, especially some of the more um, methodology-based conferences, like uh, AgileConf, I believe, did this, where the speakers were actually available when they weren't speaking in a specific room. You can go in and talk to the speakers and talk to them about, you know, basically hit them up and ask them questions. The speakers are available to the attendees. That sounds like an interesting take. Yeah, I like that idea a lot. Um, I went to AgileConf, and I didn't actually go and do any of that, but I had a friend who who did some of that, and uh, he said he found a lot of value. Um, although he ended up, I think he said, uh, everybody that came in and asked one of the guys questions was like, all right, at my company we're doing this, and I'd really like to fix this. You know, of course, all the questions are about Agile. And every answer was, quit and go find a better company. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so fair enough. Destructive, the... Uh, feedback was other than you need a better com- you need a better job yeah at the, nope. the last conference that i attended this was rubyconf i wound up hanging out with uh, a handful of guys that are fairly well known in the community um and they they do various levels of training for the community so um one guy owns the pragmatic studio and so he sells videos and courses and things the other guy um, has RailsTutorial.com, I think it is, and uh, so you can actually get his ebook online for free if you want to read it on the website, or you can, you know, buy a PDF or whatever. But it's probably one of the most popular Rails tutorials out there, and uh, you know, I have an interest in in uh, training, so um, I wound up chatting with them and one or two other guys, and it turned out that that was a very um, productive thing for me. A much more productive than sitting in a session. So um, I, I have to say that, uh, you know, it's okay to go to a conference and, and miss some of the sessions. Right. Oh, yeah. What about you, Trevor? Yeah, one, actually, one thing I really enjoyed, um, I was going to say two things about it, actually. One, first of all, I like it when they give you a little extra time between the sessions. It gives you a little chance to either talk to the presenter or 
talk to some of the other people that you were sitting around and, and just kind of discuss the topic a little bit or get to know each other, network like that. The other thing I was going to say is sometimes well, one of my favorite things when we did those lightning talks was um, it was a little less formal. And so a lot of times people would just kind of congregate towards the back. It was a, kind of an open room just towards the back and, and have a little discussion about the thing that was presented on with the presenter and a couple other people that were interested in the topic. And that was, that was actually really fun and interesting as well. But I think it's important to be able to have that time to talk to the people around you. And I, I'm not a big networker, but I see value in hearing other perspectives, especially uh, in Utah. It's a little different than if you're in Silicon Valley and you, you might uh, bump into a lot more people and have more exposure to different perspectives and different takes on ideas. But I think it's important to, when you're at a conference like that, it can help to and just spend some time listening to other people. Yeah, it's also fun after the conferences. A lot of times you'll have a big bunch of people who are going to dinner or going, you know, to go hack somewhere, or you'll have companies that put parties on and stuff. And so you can continue to have that kind of a, uh, experience after the conference is over as well. Which is funny because you don't typically think of programmers as being very social people. No. In fact, I would say it's probably motivated by something else, trying to find someone that's like you. <laughs> yep. So I guess when you're doing that, it's probably more beneficial to be attending alone because otherwise you're like with somebody and you feel like, oh, we'll just go out with them. But when you're alone, if you want to actually go do something, you attach yourself to the group that's uh, actually going to be doing some socializing. I think it's really cool when the conferences do organize some social activities to be done afterwards and give you more opportunities to network and not just network, but also just talk to other people and just, again, just get more, just talk to people about development. Yeah, well, I, I think those are what make my conference experiences m my most favorite ones or the ones where I've been able to go and socialize with other developers. And, and people are doing cool stuff. And so even if it's not something that you'll necessarily use or, you know, even pursue to learn, it still pays off in a big way. So I, I want to get into, like, some of the hack fests and hackathons and stuff. Um how, how do you take advantage of those? What what do you usually do to uh, make the most of that? So you're talking about like the hack of, hackathons and stuff that are going on during an, an existing conference, or yeah, the one or, or after afterward at night or whatever. Yeah, you know I haven't actually participated in any in any of them. When I go to a conference, usually I find myself so busy going to sessions that I don't end up participating in the hackathons that are going on, mm -hmm. and it's probably much to my detriment because a lot of times. You end up going to a session that seems semi-interesting, and when you get in there, it's just not that interesting. And rather than either bailing or not going in the first place, going and doing something productive by networking and you know learning from other people through actual programming, you just end up sitting around checking email. Yeah, I've gone to a few. Usually after Mountain West, one of the companies that's sponsoring the conference will also sponsor a hack fest in the evening and they'll sponsor food and stuff and so you can go and pair with folks and work on stuff and that's always fun you just show up you pick a project or if they've picked a project and then um you just kind of go from there and you you get you get a ton of value out of that you know just the challenges that, that come up and the approach that the other person has 
it, it's really, really awesome. So it's kind of yeah. like the socializing, except you get the benefit of having written code with them. Have you gone to any of the um, like one-day hackathons or code retreats that are um, held that are specifically just for that, not conferences? So I went to the code retreat on the Global Day of Code Retreat a couple weeks ago. And uh, that... That was a lot of fun, and uh, you know, again, you get you get the benefit of um, the variance and experience. A lot of the people who were there were on Windows, and they were doing development in .NET. Um, there were a couple of folks there that I mean, we were writing Game of Life because that's what you do at the Code Retreat. We're writing Game of Life in like Objective C in Xcode and stuff like that, and huh. uh, you know, it was it was really awesome. You know, the different variations on that and uh just you know you get the different challenges you find the different the different things that are tricky in different languages and the things that it makes easy so at the last code retreat i did objective c ruby obviously and Smalltalk um, were the languages that i got to to hammer on i heard about the guy that was there doing small talk that there was like a line to go and pair with him yeah, it's Johnny T from uh, Money Desktop. He's he's a local developer. Um, he does Ruby in his day job, and then um, Small Talk is kind of his his passion. So, you know, you you kind of get the different development environments and the different things that come come about from those. And Small Talk really does have its own way of doing things, and it's kind of a fully integrated development environment that that you use to build your programs. But anyway, it it it. It's awesome. Those are just just awesome. And sometimes the conferences will have those. I've also been to conferences that had workshops. So I spoke at DevTeach North America in May in Vancouver. And so they had a mobile track. And so you could go and you could learn about building mobile apps along with, you know, building .NET. Or they had a Ruby track, too, so you could do Ruby stuff. And that's where I was speaking. But they had workshops for Android, for SQL Server for iPhone development and for a couple of other things, different JavaScript and other related technologies before and after. And, and the workshops are usually a pretty good way to go too because they're, they're focused. They're usually not too much um, if, you're, if you've already paid for a conference ticket. And um, you can kind of meet some people before or after the conference that you wouldn't get to interact with in, in any other way. So have you only gone to tech uh, conferences, Chuck, that are actually uh, technology-focused, or have you gone to any of the methodology ones like Agile Conference or um, Agile Roots? I have been to Agile Roots. Agile Roots is actually a really interesting one, too, because you're not talking about coding techniques. You're talking about, like you said, methodology and stuff. The interesting thing about those is that they're much more of a soft science, I would, I want to say, in the sense that, uh, you know, one agile approach for one team doesn't necessarily work for another. And so the agile roots conference is a lot about, you know, here are some of the challenges that you're going to have. And here is an approach or some approaches that work where with programming, it's, you know, here's an algorithm that will solve your problem with the agile uh, conferences. It's not always that way, but at the same time you come out of there feeling like, you really can conquer the people problems and the people problems are the ones that really make you suffer in my opinion. So, yeah, I feel like everywhere I've been, those are the biggest issues in development, the process problems and people problems. 
you're always conquering. So. Yeah. But but the talk more useful than developers give you credit for. Yeah, but the talks tend to be a little bit more abstract. Yeah. Um. At the yeah. same time, you know, a lot of times what they wind up doing is, you know, agile. They encourage you to like, you know, this game will encourage this kind of behavior, and this game will encourage this kind of behavior. So in a lot of cases, your talks are actually a bit more interactive, where at the coding conferences, a lot of times you're talking your way through code or working your way through an algorithm. And so it's much more um, lecture, lecture, uh, lecture, lecture attendee. Right. Yeah, I feel like when I go to a conference like uh, Agile conferences, I come out um, with um, like having been engaged the entire time thinking about what's going on. And when I'm done, uh, I want to go in and improve how my company is working. Whereas when I go to the technology conferences, it's almost like, it's kind of like I got to see 10 introductions to something kind of cool, and especially if you're talking about an open source. Uh, but I guess this is true even of the Microsoft ones, like, oh, that's a cool technology. Maybe at some point I might have use for that, so I need to kind of file that away. And that way, later on, when something comes up that I might, you know, if, uh, if you saw a, a, a presentation on one particular JavaScript library, for example, but it's not something you can use right now, um, then you file it away and then later on, oh, yeah, I heard about this and we could use this uh, to solve this problem. Whereas with Agile, it's like, all right, I got 25 things that I want to come back and change right now. Yeah. One other thing, though, is that... Uh... As I said before, usually the more acute pain is the people pain. And so um, I'm usually much more sensitive to which talks are going to solve my pain as opposed to the programming talks. Right. But, yeah, I, I love going to those. And, you know, there's also more of a feeling of kind of camaraderie and stuff at the, well, not more different. It, it, it has a different camaraderie than the coding conferences. Yeah, I agree with that. So, yeah, but uh, there's there's always going to be that softer side to development, and it's just as important. So, because because it affects your code and it affects the way that you approach things. So, and neglected by far too many people, especially developers. So many developers, they'll whine and complain all day long about how process is going on, but not spend enough time educating themselves about how to improve the process. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So one other thing I want to bring into the conversation is um, it sounds like Trevor's been to JSConf and, you know, maybe some of the wider industry conferences as opposed to the the small local conference like Utah JS or Mountain West Ruby Conference. H have you found that your experience is, is different between the two? Do you like one better than the other? Well, it's definitely different. I actually, I think I like the more narrowed focused conferences better. I feel like I get more out of them. Another part is that sometimes when you end up with a broad conference like that, that and your head's going to explode by day three or whatever. You know, you, you get so much information and it's a, it tends to be a longer conference because it's so broad. Um, I just don't know how effective it can be as the, the length of the conference um, you know, it wears on you after a, f a few days. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like my head's going to explode after a couple of days of that. But on the smaller conferences, I really like those because they tend to be a little shorter and more focused. 
and I, you know, Joe mentioned sometimes you, you just get a JavaScript framework or, you know, something like that in the JavaScript case, but or Ruby framework that someone wants to introduce. And sometimes those are, yeah, let's file that away. That's an interesting topic, but you can also get trends within an industry. And I think that's, that's actually really useful for someone, like I said earlier, someone that's in the, well, I, well, I think there's plenty of technology in Utah. It's interesting for someone outside of Silicon Valley where you can feel trends better and uh, kind of adapt and help your company adapt in direction when you're able to go to a focus conference like that. Yeah. yeah plus it also helps you in your career. Do not get stuck yeah. doing one thing. I think it's, you know, in Utah here, the unemployment rates for programmers is like 1%. That. Yeah, it's that. So finding a job is technically very easy, but I still meet developers that have a really tough time finding a job because they've gotten themselves stuck doing programming for years now that nobody except for the company that they're working with wants. And without understanding, you know, what's out there and what they should, what the trends are, then they're doing themselves a disservice for when it comes time to either they just hate their job or they get laid off. Yeah. One thing that I've noticed, um, you know, because like I said, I've been to the two big industry conferences that were RailsConf and RubyConf, and then um, attended a few of the more local ones. I think I think I don't know if I want to call Aloha Ruby a regional, local conference. It was more of kind of a destination conference because it was in Hawaii, but uh, you know, Mountain West is always a hit for me. Um, the things that I that I like about the the bigger conferences is that they usually have a handful of talks that kind of address the overall community and address the overall concern that the community has. And so you'll have a few people that get up and kind of challenge the status quo. You'll have a few people that get up and talk about things that the community at large is talking about. And, you know, they get kind of get wider um, syndication because it's a larger conference. And I think there's a lot of value there. The, the flip side is, is that it's huge. And so, you know, you can kind of show up and be a little bit lost in the whole thing. RubyConf had three concurrent tracks, and I think RailsConf had like four or five. And so, you know, you, you really kind of have this pile of knowledge that you have to figure out how you want to wade through. And so that makes it a little bit more difficult. With the smaller conferences, um, it's not that way. And the other thing is, is that the smaller conferences are usually focused on a particular region. They, they open it up to everybody, so anybody can come. Um, but it's, it's usually more focused around the region. So most of the folks um, that are there are regional folks, and it's focused around the community there. And, and that just it just has an awesome feeling, and it feels like everybody's kind of pulled together to make it happen, even if there are only one or two um, organizers. And so the, like I said, the, the community feel there is just, it's, it's a powerful thing and it's, it's a lot of fun because you just get in there and you're kind of part of the club for, for a couple of days. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And those regional ones like that are, I would say, even better for networking stuff and, and, uh, being able to meet people that work in companies around you and you know, learning and, uh, what they're doing and, I, I think networking is, is a lot better for those regional yeah. conferences. Yeah, especially if you live in that region, because most of the sponsors 
are also local. And so you, you can go and meet those folks and, you know, open up opportunities with companies that are local to you. Yeah. Yeah. Here in the job market, conference is often a great place. A regional <laughs> conference is often a great place to go. Yeah. One other thing I want to get into, unless you have more to add on that, is how do you get the most out of the sessions? So you go to a session, what do you do? What don't you do? Out of a, out of a session? Hmm. Yeah. Um, one of my big things is taking notes. If I actually want to get something out of a session, don't show up and just listen. If you actually want to get something out of a session, you've got to take notes. Do you do and, that on pen and paper or do you do that on your laptop or what? Well, although I really like typing because I have terrible handwriting, I think by far the most effective thing is pen and paper. Just because you have your laptop, then it's too tempting to check your email. <laughs> yeah, the I, I want to kind of second that, but for different reasons. If you bring your laptop in and you open it up, then in a lot of cases, you're basically at work. Yeah. Um, you have all the distractions. You have your email. You have Twitter. You have this. You have that. The, the flip side is is that some of the conferences have like a back channel, an IRC channel, where you can discuss stuff going on with the conference. Right. But uh, I don't know. It, it usually turns out to be more of a distraction than anything else. One thing that I've seen that's kind of a happy medium to that is you bring in your iPad or your iPhone or, you know, whatever your equivalent is. And then what you can do is you just open up the Twitter app. And so then if you have something you want to share, you can just tweet it. Um, if you're taking notes, you just write it down in your notebook and, and off you go. Right. Now I like, I do really like uh, conference sessions that are kind of like a follow along in code, right? For if it's repository and then code along with us. Mm -hmm. So that's nice to have your laptop for that. But in, with the exception of that one case where you're actually coding, I much prefer keeping the laptop closed just because it's too much of a distraction. And so you're just not going to get as much out of the session. Yeah, and yeah. in a lot of cases, I wind up just carrying the thing around with me and not ever cracking it open. And so yeah. then it's like this, you know, couple of pound weight that I, you know, didn't do do me any good other than the fact that I got a little more workout. Yeah, I'd say an iPad's a great way to go, though. I'll second that. And it's uh, it's also nice. A lot of presenters now are, they've got their presentations online, so you can follow along that way, especially if you're, you know, looking at code. It's not usually the easiest to follow along on their code on a big screen, right? And then the other thing you can do is just do a little bit of research on the thing, the topic they're presenting on. I, li I like to do that while I'm listening. I get distracted really easy. Maybe I just have ADD, but you <laughs> no, know, I, I like think to, you're normal. I like to take the topic that they're looking at and presenting and, and I like to go do some research on it. If it's interesting, you know, go do some research on it and see where it came from and, and who's using it and, uh, you know, maybe dig in a little bit on the code to see how they did certain things that are interesting. Yep, absolutely. Um, I'm trying to think what else. I usually try and get seated somewhere in the middle or the front just so that I can see. Because usually what they do is they, they angle the screens that the slides are showing on and the speaker is facing you. They angle it all toward you. So if you sit kind of in the middle, you know, toward the front or, you know, middle front anyway, um, that, that tends to work out pretty well. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like I'm, I'm really involved. I can see everything fine. And, you know, I, I feel like I'm a little more engaged with the speaker. Yeah. It is also nicer the closer you sit in the front because if you do miss something that you don't understand, I often find that 
if I miss something or misunderstand a speaker at one point, I'll get lost because they'll be building on that in future things. So if I can actually stop them and ask a question, which most of them are usually amenable to, then I can make sure that I'm following along effectively. But in the back of the room, that's really hard. Closer to the front of the room, the easier it is to stop them and ask a really quick question that probably a lot of other people have. If you got confused, probably a lot of other people got confused too. And I've definitely found myself been in a session and get lost about halfway through. And at that point, then they've lost me. So I just go off to check my email and completely lose the value of the session at that point. Yeah. And I've seen that like one, one conference I was at, they had a keynote that they were talking about uh, multi-threading. And since I tried to avoid that at all costs and make someone else do it, you know, that's why I'm in the JavaScript world. Um, I got a little lost on it. So I, I tried to educate myself on the subject, but you know, really, if if you can't keep up with you know some of the difficult things, what are you gonna end up doing? Checking email and visiting Facebook, right? Yep. So I, I keep moving from topic to topic r relatively quickly. One other thing I want to jump in on is the the lightning talks. So um, we've talked about kind of showing up and listening and networking and all of that stuff. The lightning talks. Uh, when when you want to give a lightning talk, what what do you usually do? How do you know if you have something that's lightning talk worthy? Well, that's interesting. That I don't know if you were at the Mountain West Ruby Conference this year, but I was. Um, they had lightning talks where you just sign up on the chalkboard outside the room, and I think um, they would just kind of filter it a little bit. But I'm not sure that there's too much criteria for whether it's acceptable or not. Um, if it's an interesting topic to you and maybe a couple buddies, then I think it's worth spending a couple minutes for uh, an audience like that. Mm -hmm. I agree. Yeah, yeah. And, and then just Probably the criteria there is whatever. If you're questioning whether or not it's valuable, the likelihood is that it is. You know, err on the side of try going for it. You know, don't be cautious. Just if you got a co topic that you think. <clears throat> might be interesting, even if only too few people, rather than saying, oh, you know, only a couple of people might care about this, or maybe nobody does. Let's go and talk about it anyway. You'd be really surprised by how many people actually are interested in that topic. That's way better than saying, oh, you know what? I can't talk about something completely awesome for an hour. So uh, something that everybody's going to draw everybody at the conference to. So I might as well not even bother. Yeah. And I've actually loved the lightning talk sessions at multiple conferences that I've attended. Those have been some of the most useful sessions. And like Joe said earlier, you may, you may just get a little introduction, but it may be something that's really interesting to a couple people in the crowd. And then you go have your side conversation. And, you know, when it's, when it's really bang, bang like that, you tend to hit several, several good topics. Yeah. One other thing that I want to point out is that uh, in some cases, uh, if you want to speak at conferences, um, the conference organizers will look for past examples of you speaking. And so if you have a lightning talk up, especially if it's been recorded so they can go and watch you talk, um, that will help sometimes because then they'll be a little more confident that you can handle a 30-minute a talk because you did well with a 5-minute talk. So make yeah. sure you're well-prepared and, you know, it's a great way to kind of get into speaking. Yeah. So. Absolutely. We've got probably another 10 minutes to talk through things. And so I'm going to segue a little bit from this into actually speaking at conferences. Um, I, I think it's an interesting topic. We could probably talk about it for a full um, 
episode. But uh, really quickly, I just kind of want to go through the, the process of, of getting in to speak. So usually there's some kind of call for proposals. Uh, Tim Tim just jumped in. He, he asked if we wanted to jump in, and, and sounds good to me. So uh, welcome to the show, Tim. Can you guys hear me all right? Yep. Excellent. So um, what makes a good proposal, a good talk proposal? It depends a lot on the conference you're attending and what they're looking for. There's a there's a huge difference between an O'Reilly conference and a JS conf. They're they have very different goals. And so what what's the difference? I mean, they're different kinds of conferences. Like, for example, at an, at an O'Reilly conference, I was given a node workshop. And I get there and there's like a thousand people in the room. And I'm at a stage with spotlights. Not exactly what I thought of as a workshop, but I haven't been to a lot of these conferences, so I didn't know what to expect. Whereas you go to JSConf, and it's capped at 200, 300 people. Mm-hmm. They're kept very small on purpose. And also, not near as many tracks. The bigger conferences, you'll have like 10, 15 tracks wide. And the smaller ones, they're very, very picky in who they pick. And so you have to pick a topic that you, if you've given this talk at five other conferences, they're probably not going to pick you at the smaller conferences because they have so little space to pick, so many, so little space to put you in, if that makes sense. Yeah, the only exception I've seen to that is if you're like a, a major name. But, but even then, it's hard. Right. Well, even then, if you speak at like every conference, then they may just let you not speak at this one so other people get a chance to speak. Mm-hmm. Right. And it depends on the conference organizer. Not all of them do that. Some of them will just try to get the biggest names out there and hope that it makes for good talks. And others will say, well, I want to get some people I've never heard of and hope they're good talks yeah. to make it more exciting. Yeah, yeah I think JSConf is more like that latter. They're more interested in people that haven't spoken at a big conference before and they want new topics, not the typical topics that you'd see. Yeah, my, my experience, too, is that the conferences that get the big names, if you haven't been to the other conferences to see them speak at the other conferences, then those are usually pretty good conferences to go to that, you know, the, the quality's there. Um, the flip side is, is I've also seen the conferences where, you know, they have like one or two big names and then everybody else is nobody you've heard of before. And my experience with those is also usually that those are pretty good conferences. Right. So, it, it, it yeah, it just depends on what flavor they want. So, Tim, if you are writing proposals to different conferences, um, do you usually write the same proposal to um, to multiple conferences, or do you put different proposals out to the different conferences? I like to customize it to the different conferences. Like, when I'm submitting for NodeConf, I will... I mean, it, it may be the same content that I gave at a Lua conference, because I do a lot of Node and Lua crossover stuff but I will customize the abstract and what I'm going to focus on in the talk. And when I submit to JSConf, if I submit a bunch of Node stuff, Chris may say, well, we'll let you give that at NodeConf, and I want something a little more unique for JSConf. And so if you just submit the same thing everywhere, you're much less likely to get accepted. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It also helps in some cases, and this also depends on the conference organizer, um, if you know them or even if you don't know them, if you reach out to them and say, you know, hey, I'm, I'm considering, you know, these different proposals, you can put them all in if you want, because usually you can propose more than one talk. 
Um, or you can just ask them, you know, which one is more in keeping with what they want. And if they're not too busy, sometimes they'll respond. Other times they're totally slammed and there's just not a way to do it. So, right. so my first talk, my first like actual conference talk was in Stockholm, Sweden at SWDC 2010. Before that, I'd never spoken anything bigger than like a Ruby user group. And I think. Yeah, I heard there was a call for proposals because I followed some Europeans on Twitter and I proposed just for fun. And because of my how-to node blog, Peter Svensson was excited to have me speak. He's like, sure, we'll find a way if we can afford to fly you to Europe. And the reason he was so excited was because I had this blog that did technical stuff. And they assumed that if I can write well, then maybe I can be a good speaker too. Mm-hmm. So... If you're having trouble getting into a conference, do podcasts, you know, or blogs or something else. Just whatever medium you can get out there. And that'll help people see you're not afraid to to share your, your thoughts. Yep, absolutely. Um, as far as writing the proposals, a few pointers that I would give are, one, um, it's okay to make the title what your talk is about, but I usually try and make it at least somewhat in- interesting. So if I'm talking about, I don't know, what is a JavaScript function, I'm not going to call it what is a JavaScript function. I'm going to come up with something maybe a little bit more interesting or uh, clever sounding to, you know, kind of get their attention and, you know, make sure that it's focused on something that's very interesting and relevant to the conference attendees. And then with the abstract, make sure that you tell the conference organizers what you're going to talk about. Um, It's not a terrible idea to actually put kind of a short outline of what you're going to cover. In fact, I think that's more or less what they expect, you know, just so that you can explain to people why they should come and what they're going to learn when they come to your session. Um, I've seen a lot of proposals where people get in and it's like, um, you know, functions, what are they good for? And then, um, you know, so they've got an okay title. And then the abstract is, um, I'm going to talk about what functions are and how they're defined. And, And that's their whole abstract. And so it's like, Okay, well, what what's the point of attending? I mean, there there's nothing there to go on for that, and so you know you definitely need to explain to the the conference organizers and the attendees, you know, what the value is in your session in the abstract. Right, and especially if it's a multi-track conference, like most of them are, you're competing against the other tracks, and usually all people are going to look at is your title. Yep. So you got to keep that in mind. If all they're going to see is your title, and you want them to come to your track, you got to make it interesting. Yeah, flashier titles definitely attract more people. Yep. You can do Just the marketing thing of making your title, you know, a little vague. Yeah. So they have no choice but to read your abstract. Or controversial. That's right. Yeah. One or the other. Yeah. So so let's move on to speaking. What what mistakes do you see people make when they speak at conferences? Well, the mistake I make is I, I underestimate how much time it takes to prepare. And I rarely have my slides done. <laughs> you and every it, other presenter it takes an amazing amount of time to prepare proper slides and if you don't budget time for that you're going to be crunched in the end and missing all the talks before yours and just be stressed and it's no fun you so just write your talk budget out as on, much time as you can you write your talk out on three by five cards and then you just copy the stuff off the cards into your slides i think uh for when i spoke at utah open source conference it went pretty well because i had an opportunity beforehand to present in that case it was to a user group but running through your talk once for real in front of, if at worst, just one person, I guess even a, even worse than that, your dog, 
but rented the actual slides, the actual presentation, um, as if you were doing it, you know, go through the real motions, not just walk over your slides and in your head review what you're going to be talking about, but actually stand up and present it and time it and see how it goes. That's actually really important. I, I usually do that with my wife and she'll sit there and patiently listen to me talk about stuff she doesn't understand. But the, the nice thing is, is that I find the hangups that I have in my slides. Oh, I keep forgetting to talk about this or I really need to clarify this. And so I can put them in my speaker notes. And then when I give the talk, then I'm ready to just take care of it. And I don't have to backtrack and, oh, I forgot about this. And, oh, I really want to do this. And it, it, it really does pay off to practice. You know, Chuck, I think you're, I think you're confusing what your wife doesn't understand with what she doesn't care about. <laughs> Actually, I was just going to say, how's that any different than your audience? <laughs> yeah. Now, I, I will say that, and this is more of picking a topic, but if you're not excited and passionate about what you're speaking about, it's really, really hard to make an exciting talk. Yeah. Agreed. And, and there's been a few times that I've, I've been given assigned topics, usually by employers, and I just, I can't do them. I'm like, I want to talk about what interests me right now, which, which is a problem because that'll change by the time the conference happens. Uh-huh. But <laughs> at least it was it, what interested me four months ago. Yeah. Yeah. So when you're preparing the slides, um, I'm, I'm a little curious to see how you guys do it. I, I really tend to try and avoid the bullet point slides. Um, there are better ways of doing it, in my opinion. Um, the bullet point slides are really just kind of a, here's a reference, go look at the slides later to get the information Right. for me. Um, do, do you guys usually go for pictures? Do you just go for a handful of words on the screen? How, how do you usually go after it? I, I usually have some bullet points. I'm just sensitive to not put too many of those in or not too many in a row because they get boring real fast. When, I, when I'm on my game and I think about it, I do diagrams or I have live coding breaks where I've practiced and prepared and make sure it works with no internet right. or just because, I mean, these are technical topics and you can only talk about the theory so much. Mm-hmm. Show lots of large code, nice, pretty colorized, make sure it's large. And I usually walk through code or, or if I'm like talking about control flow, I'll have diagrams of the various steps and, and how the callbacks and the exceptions work with arrows. And I find that helps explain what you're talking about a lot more than, well, you should use callbacks because and it's all words. Right. Yeah, I would say that uh, programmers are a lot like three-year-olds. So you have to treat them with that ADD mentality, just like Sesame Street. You've always got to be changing things constantly. Like, I really like your idea of breaking with code, um, showing some uh, interesting or funny images or whatever, but definitely breaking topic going into examples, whatever you got to do, but yeah, bullet points are dry and I've made that mistake myself and I was wondering why I was losing everyone, but I think that's, that's why. Yeah. And if you're doing code, like Tim said, make sure it's colorized, make sure the contrast is really good with the background so that none of it blends in. That's something that I see almost every time somebody puts a code sample up is that it's in, in a lot of cases, some of the keywords are colorized differently and are hard to read. Yeah. And if you're doing slides, spend time making them pretty. Find a good yeah. template, match it to the conference, something, but make them pretty. Don't underestimate the value of design. Just because we're programmers, you know, 
this will offend the few designers that are out there, but for the rest of us who have no design capabilities whatsoever, just because we don't, we suck at making things look pretty doesn't mean it's not important. And it's, and it's important to us. We like talks that have pretty slides. Yep. About, about projectors. Do not underestimate how crappy projectors are. <laughs> you may be review, you're reviewing your slides at home on your Retina MacBook Pro and your dark cave and, and it looks beautiful. And then you get there and it's 1024 by 768 in a brightly lit room with poor contrast. Yep. Yeah. So the sun, and, it's just yeah. A- yeah. In fact, before the talk, a lot of times your, uh, your conference organizers will, you know, they'll allow you access to the room you're going to be speaking in. So go in, hook up, jack in, whatever you have to do um, to make your presentation work, and then make sure that it works. Make sure that it looks okay. That way you can make the adjustments, you know, in the color schemes or whatever before you actually have to give the talk. You know, that's a great point. My least favorite thing at conferences is watching the presenters try to get their slides on the screen, period. Isn't that always fun? Yeah. You see them fumbling with the dongles on their machine. Yeah. Switching it out three different times. Yeah, or they, they hook it into the network so that they can VNC over to it from another machine because <laughs> they can't quite get it. Or, you know, they um, they wind up, you know, using a thumb drive to get it on someone else's machine. And then it it's not quite the same because it's not on the machine that it was designed to run on. Yeah, headache, headache, headache. Make sure that you're you're ready to go. And before you go, make sure that you have all the connectors and stuff. For example, I have a 2009 white MacBook. That's my laptop. And so if I go to a conference to speak, 99.9% of the time, they don't have the dongle for my laptop. <laughs> um, I've been to one or two where they actually did. Um, thankfully, I just I didn't need it because I had my own. But make sure that you have that stuff with you. Just double check before you walk out the door. Right. Are there any other presentation tips you guys want to give before we wrap the show up? Because we are about at the end of our time. If possible, watch your audience and see what interests them and see what loses them. And if you're quick enough on your feet, you can adapt your talk. But that that only works if you're prepared and confident. Yeah. Otherwise, you're just barely keeping above water just to go to the next slide. Yeah. If if able, watch the audience and they'll, they'll enjoy it much more when you customize it for them. Yep. Now, I would I would say approach on that topic approach it a little bit more like a teacher rather than a speaker. You know, you your best at least for me, my best teachers in college and everywhere else have been the people that can engage an audience. And if you're not paying attention to them and trying to um, go with the the flow of what um, what's interesting to them, it's easier to lose people. And think back to your your most dry, boring professors. All they're doing is standing at the front speaking they don't care whether you're listening or anything yep yeah don't don't be afraid to throw away slides if you realize they're not going to interest them there there have been many a talk where halfway through i'll just ask the audience like would you rather me talk about this or this or live code and very often the answer was something i wasn't expecting that's interesting that makes a lot of sense and if you have all three of those things ready to go then you can confidently just move into it Right. So the biggest tip for me is be prepared yep. as much as possible. Awesome. Well, with that, we'll go ahead and wrap up uh, the podcast and we'll get into the picks. Um, Trevor, did Joe warn you about picks at all? <laughs> I did not. 
Okay, so so picks are just things that we like, things that we find useful, or maybe just something that we enjoy. So Jameson likes to pick music. Um, we've picked all kinds of coding tools and things like that on here. So really, just whatever it is that you know has gotten you excited or or made your day, you know, lately. So uh, we'll we'll make Joe go first to kind of give you an example of how this works. All right, I went and saw The Hobbit last Thursday night. I think I picked it. Um, but I actually went and saw it, and it was really good. So I'm going to pick it again. The other thing I'd like to pick is Riff Tracks. Riff Tracks is <laughs> the old Mystery Science Theater 3000 guys. They have this now where they're doing this with Blockbusters, and it's just a sound file that you download, and you have to actually manually sync it up with your TV, watch it at home, and you have to get it playing on some other sound source at, separate from your TV because you actually still want to be able to see and watch the actual movie. So you load your movie in the DVD player, you turn it on and you're watching it normally and you can hear it normally, but then somewhere else you got to be playing the Rift Tracks MP3 and you have to sync it up and they help you sync it up. But once you do, it's those guys making fun of the movie and it's <laughs> freaking hilarious. I mean, it's so dang funny. We watched a couple of Harry Potter ones and uh, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean and it, they're hilarious and just, just awesome. I will say they're slightly off color often, so uh, you may want to not be doing this with younger children. But they are really, really enjoyable. So I want to pick that. My last pick, because we're talking about conferences, uh, is going to be, and I, this is something I've picked twice now in the past, is going to be Pluralsight.com. <laughs> because uh, if you cannot afford to get out to a conference, then it still behooves you to keep up on the industry. And reading blog articles is not necessarily very fun. Uh, can get pretty boring, so actually watching a presentation is really nice. And with Pluralsight, we got like 400 courses on all kinds of different things, and you could basically create your own conference for yourself uh, at 30 bucks a month. Sit down and watch whatever you want to watch about, and learn whatever you want to learn about. So that'll be my last pick is Pluralsight. Awesome, Tim. What are your picks? Since I didn't think I was going to make the show today, I'm just going to have one. And that is my new microphone, which hopefully sounds good. It's called the Yeti. It's about 80 bucks, and it, it's built like a tank. So I like it. I just plugged it in. I'm running Linux. And I just plugged it in, and it works, which is pretty amazing for a USB device. Awesome. Yeah, the, the Yeti is pretty cool. I have one sitting under my desk that I use when I travel. So, All right, well, I'll go next. We'll give uh, Trevor a few more minutes to figure out what he's going to pick. So my first pick is something that I think is very relevant to uh, this show in particular. Um, if you've used the Clojure compiler, it's kind of a, a neat little project from uh, from Google. I found a Clojure-compiler.appspot.com, and I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, I was trying to debug something earlier today, and we were getting this funky error from Chrome. It was like unexpected token or something like that. And of course, it doesn't tell you where it is. So, um, and we're using XJS. So the problem was it was showing up in one file that actually required the class, I guess you would call it, from another file. And the syntax error was actually in the other file. And so what I wound up doing was I wound up uh, copying and pasting the different uh, file contents into this and then just hitting compile. And uh, it, on the other end, it told me exactly where the syntax error was and what it was. And so then I could go in and I could put the comma on the right line to make it not blow up. 
And so that was a really, really handy thing that I, I figured out. The other one that I want to pick, and this, this has more to do with speaking and specifically with coming up with that title that draws people in. This is something that was written for blog posts and how to write the perfect headline for your blog post. And the headline is usually the title. Um, it's called Headline Hacks, and you can get it at headlinehacks.com. And uh, it, it just writes you through, I think there are like 50-odd tips for how to write uh, better headlines, in, or in this case, better titles for your talks. So if you're writing proposals and you want some ideas on how you can make it a little more, little more interesting without being cheesy or weird, then this is a really good way to go. And now we'll ask Trevor for some picks. All right, off the top of my head here. What I'm watching on Netflix, I just finished up uh, the first two series of Once Upon a Time with my wife. I thought that was a good, good clean show that was uh, very entertaining. Yeah, uh, my wife and I watched that. It's a terrific show. Yeah. Uh, I like, uh, I know this isn't new or anything, but I've, I've, uh, I like Sublime Text too. And I think it's changed the way that I, that I program. And learning how to use your tools is super important, and Sublime Text 2 is great for that, learning shortcuts and everything to go with it. The movie I want to see is Jack Reacher. That looks really interesting. Uh, I don't know if I have to say anything more than that. It's just a good-looking movie coming out. And uh, something I like to listen to right now is Foo Fighters. Awesome. All right, well, thanks for the picks, and thanks for coming on the show, Trevor. Thank you. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap the show up. Uh, thanks for listening. One thing that I want to point out is that I am currently working on a Rails course. Uh, that's Ruby on Rails. It'll be available in March. Uh, you can sign up now at railsrampup.com, and there's more information there if you want it. Um, other than that, we'll wrap the show up. And uh, thank you guys for, for coming, and thanks for listening.